Hello everyone. Welcome to the Intellect podcast. Today we have with us Lucy Omanya, who's a lawyer based in Costa Rica and holds a passion for working on human development initiatives. She loves technology and believes that technological inclusion can help in solving various human issues. Today's discussion revolves around her journey to become a lawyer and then to pursue her master's degree in human rights. She also shares how her education shaped her worldview and how she thinks that technology can help in achieving political and social inclusion. It's a pretty interesting one. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the show. Hey Lucia, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Um so uh before we touch base on the other topics of the podcast why don't we start with your journey first um i think you have a very unique and interesting profile uh like you're you're a lawyer by profession and then you also completed your masters degree in human rights so what i specifically want to ask you is that going back to your high school days how did you decide that you know you wanted to study law did you always wanted to become a lawyer and then late at a later stage how did you decide on you know pursuing your masters in human rights uh like what's your story behind it well um before i begin i would like to thank you for considering me for your podcast i really appreciate this opportunity to be able to chat a little and tell a little bit of my story so well uh, as my career choice of becoming a lawyer It was rather a funny path, I think. Um, at least with the educational system we have here in Costa Rica, it is very difficult to make a career decision at such a young age, since I think we are not given the necessary tools to generate personal criteria or ed- adequate support to make a decision that fits in our future plans. I think that um, at some point, in my life i considered becoming a lawyer but it was not my primary career choice i think that my biggest personal and professional motivation has always been to try to do something that makes a difference in my life and in the life of others like i try to give back a little bit of what life has given me and continues to give i know that it may sound a bit romanticized but that has always been my driving force i have also always been a great reader and researcher from a very young age i have been interested in political and social issues so in the end the decision pretty much fell into place you know being a lawyer was very in tune with what i wanted to be in the long run and also with my academic aspirations also Um during my study years I experimented in different areas of law and I think I discovered a passion for the study of financial markets to which I devoted a very long time working but um however I have always had human rights as a transversal axis because apart from from being a subject that I find exciting I consider that the humanistic part is one that the lawyers should not lose when practicing. I have always considered that in whatever aspect of law one decides to dedicate oneself to, the humanistic side is always cross-cutting. 
I think that even if, and especially if we are immersed in a corporate environment, we, not, we should not lose sight of this. Actually, I wanted to tell you that I recently started working for an NGO that is dedicated to helping Costa Rican indigenous communities. And this was one of my main motivations to start my master's degree in human rights. Since I detected that there were not only few people dedicated to this field, but also very few people academically qualified to provide the required assistance. And also uh, a little bit and without trying to be controversial, I believe that the subject of human rights is one that has been uncritical in terms of its implementation. And I think that there are dedicated professionals, but not many of them are questioning in depth the reasons and motivations of what is happening. And that leaves aside the underlying structural problems, which I think are very important to address. Understood. Um... That's a, that's a great story. Um, so primarily you wanted to combine uh, your passion to become a lawyer with uh, your interests in, in human rights. And I think you thought that it, it'll make you a better lawyer in a sense that you know the, the different aspects of human rights and, and um, everything that goes around it, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Great, and uh, that's really good that you started for, uh, to to work uh, with an NGO, and that led you to your choice of uh, doing your master's. So I think that's a very interesting story. So um, yeah, um, my next question is that um, you, so basically your work as well as your study in human rights has mainly revolved around you know the impact of political and socioeconomic influences in in on society in general um i wanted to ask you that like how has technology advancement in the recent years impacted the political and socioeconomical inclusion in the like of the segregated groups across the world well that is a very interesting question, and I think it is a very interesting topic. <laughs> um, as I told you before, I have worked in various legal fields, especially at the corporate level. And what I consider has allowed me to have a vision on the importance of the technological inclusion of the population. I think that at least within the reality of my country, it is very difficult to see real technological inclusion initiatives for historically a disadvantaged population. Mm -hmm. And to give you a more specific example, I know firsthand of indigenous communities in which there is no access to even a telephone signal. I think that is shocking. <laughs> this in turn implies a lack of access to such a necessary resource as the internet. Especially if we consider a scenario such as the one we're going through in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, where technological access has become so vital and they cannot access that. I believe that there are certain problems uh, of political, social, and economic inclusion that could be resolved in whole or in part with proper technological access to the populations that need it the most. Understood. 
yeah that's that's uh quite a surprise to hear that uh, uh like a few sectors of the population don't have access to even telephone lines uh be it internet so that is that is a surprise but um yeah i think i think you know what i really feel deep inside is that slowly and steadily the world uh is is moving toward better technology um and definitely like as you said the pandemic has um really give us given us a, a example that we need a connected world in in the future so hopefully the internet penetration is um increasing across the sectors which really didn't have access to internet before and i think i'm i'm pretty optimistic about it that in a in a couple of years we'll see more uh uses of internet than than ever before especially in in regions where there was no internet uh previously and i think most of it would be driven by the pandemic uh and also the advancement in you know uh technology and and scaling technology particularly so um yeah i think uh that uh, that's what i'm optimistic about yeah actually i i believe that the access of internet has become in the recent years this important human right and i think that now in in the context we are living in it is necessary that everybody has the same access to technology because especially internet because if you consider that most of the educational system and classes are given on the internet there are people that are lacking it and they cannot have the same access to the opportunities that the rest of the world is having so i think that the technological inclusion is vital for them correct correct yeah especially when the whole education system is now online uh, rather than offline so yeah, yeah hopefully hopefully we'll progress towards that um cool moving ahead basically this is one of my favorite questions of of the podcast um like i want to keep the focus on the technology aspect for a bit so i i wanted to ask you that so in in 2019 you completed the harvard business school online uh, business analytics program like in fact we were the part of the same cohort um how do you think that data and analytics impact sectors like law and human rights uh, the reason that i ask is that uh basically you know sectors like law and human rights are like not directly exposed to technology so but i i also believe that you know story and steadily they are kind of incorporating some aspects of uh, analytics and definitely i think on the back end there would be a lot of stuff that is going on which is related to data and analytics insights and and stuff like that so how do you what do you think about it yeah it was a great course by the way <laughs> i think yeah. that these courses are very helpful especially to those of us who work in the social sciences because uh, we are not very familiar with that type of topics so i think that in order to be able to make a good and beneficial decision you know we must base ourselves on the data because often the information that we have not 
and not being able to analyze it in data frames, the information can be misleading. Uh, I think that this course was extremely beneficial, especially if one has management, management aspirations, since it provides you know, crucial elements for decision-making decision based on data. I also think that many times, because of being lawyers, we feel that we have to focus on certain subjects and we lose sight of others that are just as important, like data analysis, for example. <laughs> However, uh, I mean, data is the most important thing we should have, especially when it comes to researching and displaying results in order to have a clear view of what to do, what problems to address, and really what is going on. Because it is very easy to have like this information or you know the news telling us how are things. And if you don't have like the data with you, you are not making honest decisions or decision ba decisions based on evidence. So I think this, this course really helped me a lot on understanding many things. Great. Yeah, I think uh, I think that that's pretty much accurate. So, do you recommend, uh, let's say, people who are in in the field of law and, and human rights to take like certain uh, courses on analytics? Like, does it will it really help them in the long run? Yeah, I think I think it will help them. Um, I I especially in Costa Rica, I think that as a lawyer, we don't get like much information about data analysis. I think that is because as I told you, uh, sometimes we feel like we have to focus on certain things and we don't see like the bigger picture. I think that it is very important to keep in mind that the data analysis is like very important for the profession, especially taking into consideration where the world is setting and the importance that is given to data nowadays understood understood yeah I, I i also think the same way i think data has touched almost all sectors of of uh, i think the industry so i don't think there's any sector which is like not being fueled by data uh currently so i think it, it like analytics becomes a very interesting skill to gather at, at this point of time. Uh, so, cool. Um, lastly, uh, I wanted to come back to your study of, of human rights. Another, another really interesting question, which I want to ask you, um, like probably during your study or, you know, after you've uh, graduated, um, what change did it bring to you as a human and like did it impact uh, the way you view the world uh, especially when you completed your studies of, of human rights well i believe that human rights go far beyond merely studying the subject you know i think that field work is equally or more important for understanding the reality because sometimes the theory is very strict or it does not contemplate the totality of aspects involved in human rights. So I think that it is very difficult to define in theory without getting down to work. However, I do believe that the doctrinal part is important because it helps us to find cognitive tools for the interpretation of legislation and relevant studies. I also believe, uh, you know, that many times people study human rights 
to trying to find a specific solution to the problems that affect humanity. But in my personal opinion, I do not think that this is a good starting point for the simple fact that problems are, you know, often are structural and do not have a specific solution that can be applied to them. The important thing is that we are critical and aware of the facts and trying to find the way in which we can contribute, always respecting the people who receive the help. Because, you know, I have seen that sometimes we are often eager to help, but it is not always the case that the person wants or feels that he or she needs this help. So yeah, definitely this has impacted my outlook on life, especially in terms of perception of reality. Because many times I believe that one loses sight of other people's living conditions. And it is impressive to think that even today, there are still people, like I told you before, that doesn't have access to electricity or, you know, drinking water, something that we take for granted every day. We wake up, we turn off the lights, we have a glass of water. There are people that don't have that. But I think that it is even more worrying that we, when we turn a blind eye, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can I can understand. So doubling down on on what you said for a bit. So how do you deal with situations in which um, you are feeling that uh, the person on the other side needs help, but like that person really doesn't understand or is not accepting of that help? How do you deal with those situations? Well, you know. It is, I think, about empathy because sometimes when when we are like trying to help, we think that people need the help, but sometimes they are completely fine with what they have. We tend to compare our situation and sometimes think that the way we live is better, especially, you know, talking about indigenous communities, sometimes we we often think that they are in the need of, um, you know, a better life or something like that. And sometimes they are just fine with what they have. They only want visibility. They only want equal access to opportunities or to be more involved in the normal social life, like taking away all the stigmas. They only want to be seen as an equal person because you know, sometimes people think like, oh, they need a better house or they need uh, to have more space. But sometimes that is not the case. And it has happened to me that I have encountered situations where I have been with people that are completely fine and happy with what they have. They only want like the government to give them more opportunities and access to those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Got it. I think that's a very interesting point. Um, yeah, because a lot of time, uh, like people don't really require resources, but they actually require the world to see them as equal. That is, that is a very powerful uh, notion. Um, 
and yes, uh, like equal opportunity, like these are not tangible things, right? Like it's not like water, electricity or, or better housing. These are like non-tangible things that, that are probably embedded into the culture and yeah. something which probably money can't solve, uh, right? So this is a, like, this requires a total mindset change and, and change in policies and, and et cetera. That's a very powerful point. I've never really thought about that uh, before. Yeah, actually, um, you know, there are simple things that we can do for them to improve the quality of life, like uh, something so simple as having better roads because the uh, geographical barriers sometimes affect them like having electricity access to telephone lines um, drinkable water those are things that often we lose sight of but they are as important as helping them with other things you know like sometimes we think that the change needs to be bigger but i believe that change happens in small ways that then become this big thing. But if we think like very, very big, we may be losing sight of central aspect, medular points that are very little as well. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, makes sense, makes a lot of sense. Cool, so uh, this brings us to almost the end of the show. I reserved two questions for the end. Um, these are pretty interesting questions and I think you'll have fun answering them. So the the first one is, like, this one I was pretty much curious about myself. So uh, as you're from Costa Rica and it's an extremely beautiful uh, place, often regarded as a paradise due to its um, tropical beaches and, and biodiversity, etc. I really wanted to ask you that as a native, what is the most special thing about uh, Costa Rica to you? Uh, well, Costa Rica is beautiful, I must admit it. <laughs> I think that in every corner of this country, you can find something fascinating. And I think that that is what makes it so special, <laughs> you know, because in a trip of less than an hour from the capital, you can see breathtaking landscapes of mountains, rivers, waterfalls, beaches, even forests. <laughs> I think there is that really huge variety of things that you can do and see. But I must admit that one of my favorite, favorite things about Costa Rica, and for me, like one of the most impressive landscapes is the cloud forest. And without a doubt, if you are planning to visit Costa Rica, you must go and see it. It is in Monte Verde, and I think it is awesome. Wow. Yeah, I, I keep on planning um, the the visit. I, I think it's one of the places in my bucket list. I'm not really sure when, you know, I'll get a chance to to visit there, but definitely it's one of my goals to visit Costa Rica. Like everything that I've seen up until now is either through pictures, travel blogs, or probably videos on YouTube. And I really feel I should I should visit there sometime. So hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, someday I'll, I'll be down there. Yeah, uh, you should, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, the last question of, of the show, 
probably uh, it, it'll, it'll make you think uh, for a moment or two. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would like to give to your younger self? <laughs> well, yeah, definitely this is a difficult question. <laughs> you know, on one hand, I think I would like to tell my younger self to be more patient, to be more patient, to not be in such a hurry to get everything fast because life happens as fast and you should just enjoy it you know but on the other hand <laughs> I also believe that all the mistakes and missteps that I have had have brought me right to where I am so I don't think I would change anything I would just like to enjoy more the journey and focusing more on enjoying and not so much on the final outcome. Understood. Understood. See, you you don't want to change anything per se, but you probably want to become more, you wanted to become like, I think like whenever we are young, we are always in, in a hurry to get the results. Uh, but then I think, I think, at a later stage, we realize that the results would come anyway. So let's enjoy the enjoy the process. I think is that is what you're um, what do you say, right? Yeah, exactly. Enjoy the process. <laughs> yeah, great. I think it was a really interesting conversation, Lucia. And thank you again for taking out the time in your busy schedule to uh, do this. Um, I know it's pretty late out there uh, at your time. So let's wrap this conversation up and thank you again. Oh, no, thank you. Definitely. Thank you for having me again. I feel so honored. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thank you for sticking till the end. The Ad and Lake podcast is at a growth stage, so we would love and appreciate your feedback with regards to the guests, the conversations, and the content in general. We would like to make it more relevant and better with time. So if you have any feedback, suggestion, or comment, feel free to shoot me an email at, at intellect at the rate gmail.com. That is atintellect at the rate gmail.com. The email address is also available in the show notes below. Until next time, peace.